Welcome to part two of our interview with author Kim May. During this episode, we discuss her writing process, time management, self-care, spoon theory, networking, mentoring, and other topics. If you have not yet listened to part one of this interview, you are encouraged to do so. Without further ado, here's part two. Because family is such a theme throughout this book, um, how did you, I guess with that scene, like that part of the book specifically, like, how did you get that so right? (laughs) Uh, A a lot of work, a lot of soul searching, uh, spending a lot of time with these characters in my head kind of helps too. Um, there were definitely moments of inspiration where, you know, Sarah will just whisper in my head the way he always has and say, no, this is (laughs) what it is. And this is how, uh, this plays out because he's done that to me from the start. I don't know if I've ever told you about where this whole series came from. Not that I recall. So I was at work shelving some books and suddenly this person just pops into my head this character and says hi this is my name and he just had this full presence this very alluring very magnetic aura about him that just immediately grabbed my attention and I really wanted to know who he was and what he was all about But he said, no, I'm not going to tell you about me. I'm going to tell you about all these other people. So that's another reason why from the start, it's always been a different person, a different protagonist in each book, because these are how I got to know him. And so we're seeing his life and the events that he's at the center of through all these other people. Because that's just how he is he he (laughs) their lives are more important than his uh kind of selflessness and so he still does that to me he he will pop in my head while i'm writing a scene and say "Mm, we're gonna go this way (laughs) this is how it actually happens this is what the real crux of their situation is and what they actually need. So interesting. I've, um, you are not the first uh, author that I've either spoken with um, or, you know, followed on social media or whatever, um, who, who has described things like that, where, you know, the characters come to life and, and speak to you um, and kind of tell you where things are going to go and, and how to develop things. And, and that sometimes things don't go how you might expect. Um, 
I feel like, I mean, I don't think every author experiences that. Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, it, it depends on the author. And for me, it depends on the character in the series. Uh, most of my characters are very laid back and they'll do whatever I tell them to do. Uh, but he's the one exception where he's very quietly saying, mm, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. We're doing this other thing instead, because that's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I was sitting there kind of pondering as you were saying that. I was like, well, now what does that mean? Like, can I expand that into like, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to put it into words. Um, you know, is that like a hallmark of a certain type of author or a certain quality of author? But I feel like that would be kind of too... Uh, I don't want to say stereotyping, but um, like categorizing too much, like art, writing, what, uh, drawing, painting, like there's so many ways to do it. There's so many different aspects, so many different people, and everyone has their own way of doing it. I, I think it's kind of hard to categorize and say, oh, when you can do this, that's a hallmark of knowing, you know, you do your craft well or whatever. Yeah, I've heard some authors say that they know that they know a character well enough to write them once they can go Christmas shopping and buy gifts for them. <laughs> and, you know, I know people who religiously fill out the character sheets where they have the name, birth date, blood type, and, you know, the whole anime character bios. <laughs> and then there are people like me that are just like, eh, I'll make it up as I go along. I know their backstory. I know their name and what they look like. We're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I was wondering if you are more of a, a planner or more of a, a pantser, um, you know, what kind of author you are, because I always found that interesting as well. I, I'm very much a planner. In fact, if I pan this over, that is the outline for my current book right there on the corkboard. <laughs> <laughs> but... I still leave myself room to uh, make things up off the fly because I know that once I get about, it's usually about halfway into a novel where some great idea will come to me, some great plot twist that will completely change the back half of the book. So then I grumble and whine as I spend the next week readjusting all of my well-plotted chapters but it's always better for it. And I, you know, I have to be, you know, hip deep in a book in order to see it. I'm not going to see it from the very start. So that, yeah, there's always a certain percentage that's made up on the fly because it just has to be there. There's no way for me to foresee what it's going to become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I feel like, with the things I have planned to write, like I kind of know some of the major story beats, but how I get from one beat to the next, like from waypoint C to D to Q to R, you know, back to N or whatever, you know, order we're going in. Um, 
how you get from one point to the other, that I, I have no idea, but I kind of know the main beats along the path. But I'm sure those might change down the road, too. Um, so, since you, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ask this, especially since your your current series is, is dealing with, with the Greek mythos, um, how, how much of a role would you say your muse plays in your writing? If you would, you know, identify having one or, or use that term. Don't identify as having a muse because, I mean, inspiration comes from everywhere for me. And I'm not one of those writers that has to be in the mood to write. I just need the time and the pain relievers. <laughs> <laughs> Arthritis is not a disease that writers want. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because when I was writing the first draft of uh, Moonflower, the first Oneity War book, I was writing during my lunch breaks at the store. So, you know, I, I've got a, a sandwich in one hand and I'm typing with the other in my 30 minute lunch break. And, you know, I don't have the time to wait an hour for my muse to show up and inspire me into what is gonna happen next. It's one of the reasons why I'm an outliner because I can look at my outline and go, okay, I'm right here. And this is the rest of what needs to happen in this chapter and I'm off. And so within, you know, five minutes, my brain's already in the scene and I'm going. So I've just kind of trained myself to do that. So I, I don't need to rely on a muse. Uh, the story itself, I guess you could say, is enough inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah. I think for me, like, I, I claim a muse, um, but th she's more for my poetry um, than my prose. Uh, my prose, I think, is more definitely uh, not that I am very disciplined in sitting down and writing uh, very often, and and I need to get better at that. Uh, but um, yeah, I can see where uh, the planning is super important there. I think in some ways, and I don't want to cl claim a muse for this, but I actually. Um, you know, several of like the plot points and things in some of the stories I have planned, uh, you know, come from different sources of inspiration, you know, dreams I've had or, you know, experiences or things like that. And so, um, I don't know, for me, like, I feel like if I can start in one of those points and keep writing from there, like, I kind of feel like I'm blending the inspiration with the dedication that comes, but like I said, I'm not so good with the dedication of sitting down and writing, and a lot of my writing turns into time for writing for my blog and things like that. So, how do you um, how do you budget your time? How do you make everything work? Because I know you're super busy um, with work at the bookstore. Um, you've got other things going on in life. 
Um, how do you make it all work? It's a juggling act. It, it definitely is. Uh, I try to uh, clear my schedule as much as possible. If I don't have to do it, then I don't uh, kind of thing. Whereas, you know, as, as much as I love hanging out with my friends, that's time that I could also be spending writing. So unless it's a special occasion or if I'm going to be in their area and just really feel a need to sit and chat, then I just don't. I'll check in with them on social media, say hi, you know, quick five minute chat, but save myself the 20 minute or in some cases hour long drive to go see them. Uh, also prep meals a lot. You know, I, I've discovered that cooking every night takes a lot of my remaining time and energy when I come home from work. So I'll just make big batches of things at the beginning of the week. In fact, that's what I'm gonna be doing this afternoon uh, so that I can just heat and eat uh, something quick, sit down and write and pound out some words before I am too exhausted to even form a coherent sentence. Um, you know, there are days when I'm just going to be too tired and in too much pain. And so I give myself some leeway. It's like, okay, I'm wiped out. So I'm just not going to, uh, write tonight. Uh, this past year was the first year I didn't do NaNoWriMo because I knew with the extra stress of COVID and the holiday rush that I just was not going to have enough spoons to work on a manuscript. And it was nice having that break in that time to just relax and focus on my health. So now that the rush is over, I can dive back in uh, refreshed. So it's, it's just learning what I need to do to clear the time that I need, uh, give myself the preparation that I need so that I've got everything set up and ready to go. That makes sense. Um, I, know, I love spoon theory, by the way. That's a great way to convey to people um, kind of where you're at um, mentally and emotionally. Um, for those who are not familiar with spoon theory, would you like to give like a, a brief summary of what that is? It's uh, a way of explaining chronic pain to those who don't suffer from it. Uh, and the theory is that, you know, you start the day with, say, a dozen spoons, and everything you do during the day costs a certain number of spoons. And when you're out, that's when you need to go to bed and just rest. Because if you don't, if you try to push through and do the rest of your tasks for the day, you're using tomorrow's spoons and you're going to be in even more pain and a lot more exhausted than you really should be or and a lot more than is good for you because then it takes even longer to recuperate and bounce back so and you know it doesn't seem like writing would take a lot of spoons but it does because uh, you're doing a lot of it takes a lot of concentration so even though it's not physically taxing, it, it's mentally taxing. And mm -hmm. if you've got a mentally taxing job, that makes writing even harder. 
um, I've learned that if I've taken, if I've had to take a lot of uh, NSAID painkillers, that numbs me mentally and makes me, um, uh, what was the word, um, less empathetic towards mm. my characters. And so when I go back a couple of days later and reread what I wrote on those high pain days, there's no emotion in it at all. So I've learned the hard way that if I'm going to be doing any sort of writing, it's going to require a lot of work later on, uh, on a less pain or a lower pain day. So I can add back in all of that emotional connection that the scenes need, or I just, if just can't write, if I've had to take more than four pills. That that's really interesting. Thank you. I, uh, that was a, a great definition and description of, of spoon theory. And I, I like how you tied that into your self-awareness of your writing and how, how it affects your writing um, and your ability to be empathetic. Um, I think that's some great self-awareness. Um, I think that there's, it reminded me, I actually, I think I have read some studies um, articles about studies i'll be honest i don't read a lot of studies um but articles about <laughs> what you do yes <laughs> i applaud you for that um european medical journals are the best <laughs> <laughs> okay why do you like the european ones specifically uh in europe they're doing a lot more uh studies about uh, arthritis and for curative methods than what is being done in the US. In US, it's more palliative. It's more early diagnosis or pain management, especially for osteoarthritis, which is what I have. So I find more useful information of new techniques and treatments that I may have to become an expat to get. Uh, <laughs> And plus the, the medical journals in Europe seem to be a lot more forthcoming with details. Like the US journals, they'll just say, okay, this is the gist of what we did and the gist of our results. But the European journals, they'll break it down. It's like, okay, we, we did this dose and this uh, amount of time and here's everything. They, I mean, they'll give you the full data in a lot of cases. Interesting. I. Uh, for some reason, I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, but that, that's that's interesting to know that there is that difference between American and, and European medical journals. Um, I feel like um, I, I read an article that was summarizing a journal article um, a couple of years ago that actually did talk about... Um, insane medication and how it affects um empathy or something like that like it was that sounded familiar as you were saying that but i don't have yeah there have been studies done on it yeah i can't remember which article or which journal talked about it uh but i do remember reading about that study so and that's something that we don't really hear about, we don't know about uh, the average person. 
because um, they they don't usually have the time or take the time to to research, and it's not really in the um, you know, when your doctor or your pharmacist sits down with you and talks with you about a medication, uh, that's not really in what they talk about. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not even sure if it's in the monographs. I don't think it is. I, um, I haven't spent a lot of time reading those uh, monographs or the packaging inserts or whatever you want to call them. Um, but in my, my previous career um, at my former employer, I spent a bit of time um, coordinating medications for group home residents, um, coordinating between the group home, the pharmacy, and the doctor's office. Um, and so I learned a lot about medications during my, my time doing that. And I don't really remember seeing that on, on any paperwork for any of those medications. Yeah, I haven't either. I mean, they're more concerned with can they operate heavy machinery and is this going to interact with their blood pressure medication? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In other words, is this going to kill you or is it going to keep you from working? Mm-hmm. Like you're mentally it, numb, but you can still work. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting to me how in American society, compared to a lot of other societies um, were a lot more individualistic and yet there's so much more there's in some ways less information there's less um, awareness less focus on really what makes a person whole and healthy and you know largely we're missing kind of that whole holistic aspect to medicine and not just medicine but wellness in general Mm -hmm. i feel like there should be more of that in a society that's so focused on the individual i don't know something to think about i guess Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's definitely a lot to be said for holistic medicine and holistic methods uh, I find a lot of times if I'm, uh, if I have writer's block, if I can just get outside and go for a walk, get some fresh air and get my mind off of, onto something else, even if it's just listening to music and letting the music distract me, uh, those knots, proverbial knots in my head will just kind of unravel themselves. And after you know about an hour when I get back, it'll all make sense and I'll see, okay, this is why I'm having problems with this. This is what I need to do to fix it. And I can move on now. Yeah, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, you know, getting that little bit of exercise and the blood flowing. It, there's, there's so much to be said for non-traditional fixes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just simple things like moving your body, being hydrated, sunshine, um, a hug. You know, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely not as much of an awareness about those things as there should be, I think. So, um, so you were talking about the days that you 
are too tired to write or hurting too much to write. Um, I know for me, like if I'm having those days where I'm super tired or I'm not feeling well, um, whatever the case may be, um, I'm never as productive as I should be during the day. I never get as much done as I want to, but I also feel like guilt if I don't, which I feel like is a very American thing too. Um, Uh But um, like on those days where I'm not uh, just, I don't have enough spoons, if you will. And I, I'm not someone who suffers from chronic pain, but I, that's that spoon theory has been adopted by others but um and just it's a good way to explain things for people in general i feel um so we've appropriated that from the the chronic pain community um if that's a term um but i'm rambling so i will focus in here um you know those days where I'm, i'm feeling that way you know i will um do something to where I feel like, okay, I'm at least doing something productive in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm researching. Um, and I use that term loosely, to be honest. Um, but, you know, there are one of the two series that I, I have in mind that I, I've been working on um, is uh, more of an urban fantasy kind of paranormal sort of series. Um, and so, I can sit down and watch an episode of a show that deals with ghosts or something paranormal. And I enjoy watching that show, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, this thing that this person said um, sparked an idea here that triggers this thought. And, you know, I can turn that into like a concept um, or a character trait, or it's something I can use. Um, in in my my story um and so i I feel like and maybe i'm just giving myself excuses or something but i feel like that way at least i'm being productive by doing research um so i was wondering like and don't feel bad if you don't but like that's not my point um but like on those days like is there do you ever feel, I guess is what I'm asking, do you ever feel that you're not being productive enough? And so is there something that you do that isn't writing, but you still can feel like you're being productive and um, on task, so to speak, with moving forward with your project? I definitely feel that guilt all the time. Uh, It's taken me a long time to get to a place where I am comfortable prioritizing my health and saying, look, the writing just isn't going to happen. <laughs> Sorry, fans. It's not happening tonight. Uh, because, you know, at, when it all comes down to it, I'm the only one who can do this, who can write this story this way. And so if I don't take care of myself, it's never going to happen. And, so, you know, take it easy a few nights when I need to to rest so I have the strength and focus that I need to finish the novels. That's 
than my bigger priority. Uh, but on those nights when I can't uh, write, yes, yeah, so sometimes I will watch uh, documentaries or YouTube videos that have something to do with uh, what I'm writing about so that it is still research. Sometimes I'll just watch some anime that has nothing to do with the book because I'm still consuming narrative. I'm still learning something about storytelling or about character development or even watching uh, uh, martial arts tutorials and seeing, <laughs> you know, tucking away things for fight scenes yeah. later. Um, it, any type of media input or books that I read by some of my other favorite authors. It, it's all teaching me something so that I'm slowly moving forward and becoming uh, a better writer and a better artist myself while I'm resting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, podcasts are another thing that I'll do. You know, I especially um, will listen to uh, the writing, writing Excuses podcast um that's i love that podcast <laughs> so good it's a good one um you know i'll listen to that for you know different tips and and just i love the you know they've got their what three recurring hosts per episode I and mean, it's different hosts every episode but they've got a, a i don't know a stable of like what probably eight people that they rotate through as hosts and Oh, it's a lot more than that now. <laughs> oh, is it? And yeah. then they have like then they have like the guest who's essentially a host as well. Um, mm -hmm. but it's someone who's who's not a regular host. Um, and you know, the four of them talking and it's always interesting to hear the different perspectives that they have and um, especially considering the, the personalities of the, the hosts there. It's just they're very different, very interesting people. They are, but they're so much fun to hang out with. <laughs> I bet they are. I uh, I haven't had much opportunity to do that. I, I did go with you um, to the book signing one time for Brandon Sanderson. And there was, I th gosh, I feel like it was like 20 of us that went out uh, for like snacks afterwards, like to some restaurant. I don't even remember where it was, but mm -hmm. I want to say there was like 20 of us that went out. So that's been like my in-person experience with uh, with any of those people, but um, yeah, Brandon was great. The, the very little interaction that I had with him, and and uh, I, I feel like all of them are just amazing people. They really are. They they've been great mentors to me. I love them so much. <laughs> I can see that. I uh, yeah. I I would love to. Yeah, I. I, I do my writing and then Life Living Pursuit of Happiness Project, that's kind of my business, you know, entrepreneurially that I'm building. And I use some writing for that, but in a, in a way the two are kind of separate. Um, but, you know, there's a lot more uh, mentors out there, I think, in kind of the, the entrepreneur business space than there are 
in the writing space, I feel like. Um, even kind of the, what I call like the long distance mentor, like people putting out podcasts or, or YouTube videos or whatever that, you know, you may not know or even spend time with personally, like in person, um, but you're still getting kind of some general advice and, and um, suggestions and learning tricks and tips from them. And um, I feel like there aren't as many out there in the writing space that do that. Maybe I'm just not uh, exposed to the right people, but. We're, we're not as public about it as we are in the entrepreneurial circles. Uh, it's kind of one of those you have to know someone who's involved or be in the right writer circles to see the announcements come up because um, you know the clarion workshops uh, are a great uh, series i have friends who've gone to those a number of times um, i've i'm an alumni of the superstars writing seminar which covers both the uh, craft side and the business side of the industry and we've got a lot of great uh, instructors and mentors in there um, but outside of the workshop circuits there's a lot of great mentors who just do it on the side and it's just a matter of befriending uh, these authors asking for their help uh, giving them your email address and just going from there and that's what more most of my uh mentors have come from is just going to signings uh back when we could still do signings uh <laughs> and, and yeah just soon. yeah hope is someday um but just putting myself out there and saying hey i'm a new writer i really like your work i'd like to talk about your work can we have dinner or go out for drinks after the event and a lot of times they say yes and so i've built a lot of relationships with uh some really great talented people that i admire and they've been a big help in fact uh i at superstars last year uh i spent a good amount of time talking with dan wells and getting some one-on-one -on -one help from him about how I'm going to handle certain aspects of the rest of the Uniri War uh, that I couldn't quite figure out on my own. He was a huge help with that. He doesn't feel like he was a huge help, but he really is. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so who, so uh, Dan Wells, you just mentioned, um, I know you um, have a little bit of a, a mentor-mentee relationship with, um, or it seems like you do, I could be assuming too much, um, with Brandon Sanderson. Um, who who else might you say has been kind of a mentor figure for you? Um, Mary Robinette Kowal, definitely. In fact, she was kind enough to take me under her wing when she lived in Portland and introduced me to a lot of people in the industry. So a lot of people who later became mentors or even my cover artist, whose work is sitting over my shoulder. <laughs> uh, I met him through her. And uh, so yeah, she's been a huge help in many ways. Um, 
Diana Fair Francis uh, has helped me work through a number of plot problems. Um, Joshua Esso, he's a, a professional editor, works freelance, uh, and he was a big help in helping me get my current novel, the one that's behind me, uh, get that plot straightened out. Because uh, I'm, <laughs> this one is literature, it's historical fiction, and it's not in my comfort zone. And so it definitely helped a lot having uh, a more experienced uh, person in that genre looking at it and say, okay, I see what you're trying to do. Let's go this direction. <laughs> Here's how you want to set yourself up for this. Uh, trying to think who else. Um, Ken Skulls has been a big help. Um, the dearly departed Jay Lake and John Pitts. Mm-hmm. Cool. It sounds like you've had um, a lot of different uh, help and, and influence there from, from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's a list that grows. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Joshua, I just contacted about, what, four months ago when I realized I needed help with this book. Uh, so it's just one of the things that, you know, as you network and meet people in your industry of choice and you just develop those relationships, not knowing whether they're going to be uh, kind of a future linchpin in your career or not. You know, there, there, there's a number of people who I met and just became friends with over the years who later then became editors who bought stories from me. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those things, you know, one of my future novels may end up turning another one of my friend into a, friends into a mentor. So <laughs> it just happens. Nice. 